Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. And once again, you have the front row seat to the best thriller writers in the world. The podcast that tells you, you like thrillers? You've come to the right place. On today's show, this gentleman I've been trying to get on the show for months and months. Luckily, I ran into him at Thriller Fest, pushed him into a corner and said, come on now. Kidding. He said, yes, he'd love to. Nick Petrie is the author of The Runaway and I loved this book. I think you will too. It is, it is something else. I told him in the show, I'm like, I hate to admit it, but I have never read your Peter Ash series, but boy, after reading this, now I know what all the hullabaloo is about and I will be reading more of you. So without any further ado, please welcome Nick Petrie. He's in the green room right here on the Thriller Zone. You look extremely professional there, David. Well, I feel extremely professional. <laughs> I always love the uh, the uh, expressions when people very first sign on. It's a it's a cross between. Is this thing on? You'd think we'd be better at this after two years, two and a half years now. Yeah, somebody was uh, moaning about Zoom the other day, which has its downfalls. But I said, you know. If Zoom hadn't risen to the level that it is, uh, I may not be sitting here doing this. Well, I think a lot of us would be worse off. Yeah. What have I caught you in the middle of, Nick Petri? Uh, it's Petri, actually, like the Petri. dish. Thank you. No, Thank you no for worries. slapping me. No worries. Um, uh, oh, I just uh, closed a document uh, working on Peter Ash number eight. And uh, going off to hear a concert when I'm done with this. Ooh, who are you hearing? A uh, local band called the Five Card Studs. <laughs> I like that. Come on down and hit your five card studs. Um, and will that be, is that kind of like an open venue outdoors thing or is it uh, romantic yeah. and... Uh, uh, no, it's a, the best thing about Wisconsin this summer is all the outdoor music stuff. So it's a, it's actually our local park has a six concert series in the summer, every other Wednesday. Um, and there's another big park. Oh, I want to know mile and a half away that has stuff every Monday, every Monday night. So we're out on a regular basis. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I was trying to think I was doing a radio show in Chicago back in the, uh, mid to late 80s and there was a huge outdoor festival uh north of the city well you're way north of the city <laughs> well we're, we're in milwaukee but the, the you're probably thinking about Summerfest, which um, that's it before the pandemic was a 10-day music festival with something like i don't know 30 stages uh, it was a huge deal people came from all over the country it was the biggest outdoor music festival in the country yeah uh, and now it's been divided up into, I think, three different weekends. So it's not quite the same, but um, it, it's a madhouse. It's a lot of fun. They used to have, until until not too long ago, you could buy a, a, a pint of beer for a dollar. That was a big, that was a big Summerfest staple. 
I know. I'm, I'm not sure that encouraged the best behavior on the parts of all patients. But... <laughs> that is called a uh, wide sweeping uh, allotment for tragedy. <laughs> so you, you've been a radio guy forever? Did you broadcast or did you do TV too? I did both. I did. Uh, radio was my first career, like uh, right out of high school for 25 years hmm. and had a really nice uh, run and then uh, transitioned to TV, did some <laughs> weather my, uh, weatherman for 10 minutes. Uh, when I got tired of that, then I went into uh, movies and did some uh, acting in some movies. So it's been huh. a wild ride. That's quite a, and, and now you're doing this for God's sake? Well, what I'm doing is I'm taking, I still, I'm writing books. I just haven't, I'm not in your league yet. I'm writing um, self-published books while I get my craft going. <clears throat> but I thought, you know, I was dabbling in podcasting back in like 2004 or five, just dabbled in it. Nothing, nothing was happening, but I knew about it and kind of toyed with it and took some time off. And uh, when, uh, this, you know, this shift came in society. I thought, you know, I'm just going to take all my built-in talents and which is basically radio on, you know, with more freedom. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and, and it's been really, really successful so far. Well, I've been listening and, and uh, I have to say the, the, the initially the most striking thing is just your voice. You just have that you have that voice and it's and it's right in your ears. It's it's quite a pleasure. <laughs> Well, thank you. There was a day like in the early mid 70s, late 70s, I knew I wanted to do this. And <clears throat> so I just did everything I could to get there. And then when radio consolidation and this is about you, so I'll make this fast. But when radio consolidation came in and I, I was in New York and L.A. and Chicago and Detroit and Philadelphia. So I, you know, I had big, moved out markets. The, yeah. But when consolidation came in and, and the big guys started buying the small guys and then buying the bigger guys, we were all competing with ourselves. So it wasn't fun anymore, deregulation. And uh, so I said, I'm, I'm out. And 2000, I got out and just took, um, you know, 20 years off. And now I'm back. There you go. You know, getting to sit down to talk to sexy beasts like you. <laughs> Flattery, flattery, we'll get you everywhere. Yeah, well, I hope so. All right, this is a hell of a ride. We're talking about the runaway, Nick Petrie. Now, uh, we're going to get to this, but I want to I want to do a little bit of catch-up now that we've just kind of warmed up since we saw each other last at Thriller Fest. Um, that was fun, wasn't it? What a hope. Oh, it was. That's, that is such a great time. I think anybody who wants to write crime fiction, thrillers especially, should should go. It's a chance to rub elbows with really the best of the best. You'll stand at the bar and and uh, you'll see Mark Graney and Brad Taylor and Don Bentley and uh, David Temple and, you know, all sorts of fabulous folks. Um, it's, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a big fan. I go every year. And, and when you write full time, you're stuck in your, you know, at your screen for yeah. large chunks of time. And and, uh, you know, it's a, ch a chance to get to see your people, right? To, to see all of the people that you share this disease with, uh, <laughs> you know, telling, telling stories and writing books. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a great time. It is. Um, <clears throat> I remember the first time I went and I was telling this to someone recently, you know, I did the whole shebang. I did everything I could get my hands on. Craft Fest was just like a masterclass. 
And then this last time, I really spent more time just sitting back and absorbing and doing whatever the other thing was, which is just kind of listening. And then hang, <laughs> hanging out with Chris Hottie at the bar and just, you know, having coffee and in the morning and, and, and thinking, this is really where the meat potatoes happens because you get to talk. Well, I got to meet you finally for the first time and just kind of hang out and rub elbows and it's like any conference, any professional conference, right? You, you learn the most and you have the most interesting conversations sort of outside the rooms, yeah. right? Walking down the hall or in the bar afterward or, uh, and again, if you're an aspiring writer or an accomplished writer, I, it, to me, it's just such a, there, there are the, the two, for me, big conferences a year are Thriller Fest and VoucherCon, which is in Minneapolis this, uh, this year. Yeah, uh, and it's the same deal. You you go and you meet a bunch of readers, and you get to meet some writers, and you get to learn a little bit about how the business works and how the craft works, and and uh, we all are trying to get better, right? That's the that's the goal. Sure. Meg and I were talking yesterday. Her her show will uh, air tomorrow, and she, we were talking about uh, how the two different camps are so so much different. Thriller Fest being uh, this kind of a world, and Patrick on being this other one. And she said, am I going to go? And I'm like, uh, I can't make it this year because I put all my cash on Thriller Fest because th that's not a cheap trip. Yeah. Um, yeah no, New, New York is not is not for the faint of heart in, in, the, in the dollar department. No. <laughs> you blow through it so fast. And I'm not I'm talking about cab rides and Din Din, you know what I'm saying? But uh, uh, BashCon will be here in my backyard next year. So you can be sure I'll be front and center. That's right. Yeah, that's great. And as she put it, just yet another reason to go to San Diego. <laughs> I love San Diego. My sister-in-law lives outside of town and uh, we spent a great week here. We rode bikes along the beach. We went to Coronado. We rode the trolley. We went to the zoo. We had a great time. It's a, it's a great town. Which little town does she live in? Uh, I could tell you if I could pull it out of my brain. Um, north or south or east? North. north. <laughs> she actually lives in the same town as Jeff Parker. Um, but that still is not going to help me pull that name out of my brain. I'm over 50. This is what happened. <laughs> well, I got a decade on you, dude. Let's see. Uh, uh, well, we're in Encinitas, if that helps you anything. Okay. Yeah. Which is um, just freaking delightful. Yeah. Southern California is a beautiful place. Yeah. The price of admission, Steve, uh, what did we just, we just filled the gas up yesterday. It's, it's, it has dropped from $7 a gallon. Oh my God. To now it's down around six and we're like, oh, yes. <laughs> wow. Well, plus there's, you know, the earthquakes and the wildfires and all the other wonderful stuff that's going on in the world. But, details, little yeah. details. Yeah. But conversely, if you watch my uh, Twitter or Instagram and you see all those photographs where I photograph the books, they're all sitting in the backyard with my hammock in between two big palms and my backyard's <laughs> called Five Palms because there's five of them. So, I mean, and it's 75 every day, so. Yeah, well, I'll be visiting you in January when it's 10 below in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Dude, I spent five years in Chicago. That's the reason I left. It, I'll never forget it was Christmas uh, and, and I had just been booted and I hung out for an extra month and I'm like, wait a minute, it's 33 below, dead of winter. I don't have a job now. I'm heading west. And that's when I moved to LA and never looked back. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I did want to say this. Do you, because when I was reading The Runaway, and we're going to really dig, dig deeper, but uh, there's such a, a feeling of 
I don't want to be cliche, but there's a sense of environment and atmosphere that is so rich in this book. And it's, and it's, it's not overly done, but it's so, I I now get it why you, and I, I got a confession to make. I haven't read your books until this one. I'm shocked. Shocked. Father Petrie, please (laughs) forgive me. Um, But golly day, now I know why. So just jump in here and be a wash in that accolade. Um, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. The the uh, I don't like the, the place setting is really important to me, right? So e- each of these, this is a uh, the 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 book you're talking about, the Runaway, is the seventh book in the Peter Ash series, um, and they're each set in a different place. The, the 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 first is set in Milwaukee. There's a book set in Memphis, Tennessee. There's a book set in the Tech Coast, uh, Northern California, up to Seattle. Uh, there's a book set in Colorado. Um, and the runaway is set in rural Nebraska. And, and what you get, I, I think of, of place, of, of setting really as a character, and it lets you draw on so much, uh, like you said, atmosphere. Uh, you can create mood, you can, you can create tension, um, and it really makes the books feel distinct from each other, which is, was, is honestly, that remains my biggest fear as a writer is that the you know, readers will sort of say, well, you know, did I read this one or this is this like the other one? I mean, I really want these books to to feel like their own little worlds. You can read them in any order. You can start at the beginning and work your way through, but I want them to be memorable. And, and setting is a real easy way to, to do that, uh, at least for me, because it's something that, that I'm interested in. As you were on that tear, <laughs> excuse me for my shiny object moment, but I was listening to your... <laughs> I was listening to your voice because it's what I, one of the things I study. Has anyone ever told you you sound like Dick Cavett? No, but I'll take that. Oh, yeah. You, if you listen to him right now, somewhere pre-recorded, and you just turned a little screw, you could be Dick Cavett. That's so bizarre. Okay, sorry. It's shiny moment. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what I like about that is, and 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 I hope this is a compliment that it's meant to be, because it, it reminds me, your character reminds me of Lee Child. And then I flip the book over on the back and <laughs> read, listen to this, folks. Lots of characters get compared to my own Jack Reacher, but Peter Ash is the real deal. Hello? Yeah, he's a lovely guy and a very generous guy. That's a, that's a very nice, and, and that was actually, you know, often what happens is authors reach out to other authors to say, hey, will you give me a quote for the book? And that was something he actually said during an interview with, with uh, it was a radio interview, actually. Um, the guy asked him what he was reading. And he said, oh, I'm just reading this guy named Petrie. And of course, he, Lee's got an English accent, so I'm not going to attempt that. But oh, go um, ahead. This, I, <laughs> he's reading Nick Petrie. This, his first book's called The Drifter. Oh, it's really great. You know, and he, he just, you know, was, was super lovely about it. He's like, he is a really lovely guy. Yeah, that's what I hear. But but boy, talking about, um, I was on the phone the other day with his brother Andrew, and I was <laughs> this. You'll you'll love this. I said, Andrew, just for curiosity, <clears throat> because I'm a question guy. What uh, what advice did your brother give you when he handed over the mantle and had you carry on? He goes, none, not at all, not a single one. He said, here, go. You know. <laughs> Remember, like he he knew I could do it, and uh, it was just so hilarious the way he said it. Like, no, no, you got me nothing. Get busy, well, dude. I'm Andrew's a great guy, and he he does a great job with those. And his 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 pre Reacher books are also, I think, spectacular. So um, it could not end up in better hands. I think. 
Well, back to the point I was trying to make. So your descriptions are vast and colorful, not too intricate and wordy, because, you know, there are people who, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody that we'd both, well, Thomas Wolfe back in the day, would he'd enter a room and he would take four chapters to describe the room as he crossed it, you know? Well, the, the, the secret to a thriller is it's got to move quickly, right? You, you, you know, people want to, you know, turn the pages and, and the goal is to give you, you know, atmosphere and feeling and, and just enough description so that it comes to life and then you move on. There's something else happening. The other thing I think about all the time as I work is uh, there's a Steven Spielberg quote about making films, which is tell a story on a moving sidewalk, which is do more than one thing at once, right? So don't, don't pause on the room and describe the whole room. Describe the room as something happens in it. Describe the room as somebody walks through it. Describe the room as somebody gets hit in the face. Um, you, you know, that's really one of the ways that you can really speed up the work. That is a really great, solid piece of advice. I get it instantly, yeah. And you do that all through the book. Um, yeah. You know, here's the funny thing. I, uh, and I, and this is a, this is a compliment and it's, it's going to sound backhanded at first, but trust me, it's, it's a compliment. So I pick up the book. I read a lot of books for this show. I try to read every single solitary one for the show. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm, you know, there are times that I just go, let me see what I can squeeze in here before to make some notes before I go into the next thing, because I'm cutting one while I'm, you know, researching another Dude, I was literally just shy of 200 pages in, and the book's only like 380. I was 200 in when I realized, oh, I, I need to stop so I can get some other stuff done. That's my compliment. No, I appreciate that. That's, you know, for me, the, the best praise from a reader is, uh, you know, I lost track of time. I stayed up way too late reading under the covers with a flashlight, and, and I, I woke up feeling like I had a hangover and I was late for work. Like, to me, that is what I'm looking for. That yeah. is what I want to deliver to the reader is to sort of mess up your day because you can't stop reading. Yeah. Boy, you really are evil, aren't you? Um, and it's funny because as I was reading this book and I thought <clears throat> along this same point, we work so hard to create this world. We're tens, we're thousands and then tens of thousands of words in and then the reader picks it up, and when it's this good, you start blowing through it, and you go, oh, it's already over, <laughs> which is such a, it's such a funny thing. It's like going out to a really, really nice, expensive meal, and you've been thinking about it for a week, and then you sit down, all of a sudden, it's so good, you fly through it, and you're like, oh, man, I, I didn't even hardly enjoy it. I was rushing through it, so it was so good, you know? Well, it's, it's funny, people, people reach out to me uh, online all the time and say, you know, I mean, I, I'm a big rereader. So to me, that's a huge compliment. And, and uh, it's how I've learned an awful lot about writing by rereading really good books. And so people, to me, it's again, a, a high compliment when people reach out and say, hey, I read your book and it was so good, I just went and read it again. And it's like, really? You read my book twice in a row? Of course. And I just yeah. like, okay, uh, you were my kind of guy. Yeah. So you're working on number eight. This is number seven. Um, do you, I don't know if it's a silly question. Do you see yourself because Peter Ash is so well ingrained in your fan base? Do you see yourself just, do you, do you say to yourself, oh, uh, I've got a point down here I'm reaching to, or do you just go, no, as long as the ideas will come, I'll keep going. 
I don't have an end point in mind. Um, I, I guess I, I mean, I, there are lots of other kinds of stories I'd like to tell. Um, you know, right now my publisher is really because these books are selling so well and they're so popular, you know, my publisher is like, no, what we really want from you is another one, um, <laughs> which is, which is a great, a great uh, thing to have happen to a writer. Um, but there, there is a point, I mean, again, I, I'll, I'm, I'm more than halfway through the eighth one and there's a point at which, um, it's just, I, I'm just going to have to do something else just to refresh myself. Um, I, I really think about the careers of people like, um, you know, Michael Connolly or Dennis Lehane or Harlan Coleman or, uh, writers who started out doing one thing. And then like Michael Connolly, he's still writing the Harry Bosch books. That was his, that's his first thing. But, but if you look at his bibliography, probably half of his books are out of series. Uh, or somehow adjacent to that series. Um, so, you know, I can, I can see books where, you know, a, a, a side character in one of the books has their own, has their own book or, or something that is just uh, kind of different. I've got, I've got a whole file of, of ideas and I've got something kind of growing in my head. So I'm not sure I might have to arm wrestle my editor to, to get them to let me do it. But um, I, I don't know, these books are so much fun to write and it's such a kind of a natural voice for me to be in Peter's head. Um, I can't imagine not writing them. Um, and, and, you know, I've got, I've got another 20 years or 30 if I, if I want to. So that, that's, a, that's a lot of books. Yeah. Well, hopefully on this show, you will never hear the question. So where do you get your ideas? Nick? <laughs> <laughs> that has become a running joke that I love to say. And I laugh every time. And not again, and not to drop names, but I think it's because Chris Hottie and I have kind of struck up a, a fun little friendship and he's only 90 minutes away. So it makes it pretty easy. But he and I were talking about Haley, his Haley Chill character. And he right. says, you know, I love Haley Chill and I've got all these ideas, but every once in a while, I just want to pull something else out of the air and, and work on something else. And I said, you know, uh, I get it because sometimes you don't want to eat uh, steak every single day. You get bored with it. You want something else. Well, you you gotta you gotta let the well refill sometimes. Chris and I actually had a long conversation uh, a week ago, a week ago, a week or two ago about just that, um, and you know, kind of what else there might be in the hopper for him, and uh, you know, kind of what how how does the series evolve? Which I think is a really interesting question. Um, and I'm I'm always reaching out to writers who've been doing this longer than I have to sort of say so. Um, you know, how do you, do you have, is there, is there a plan? Do you have a, you know, I, I've actually talked to uh, CJ Box quite a bit about this. Yeah. Um, and he is the most um, sort of disarming guy. He's like, no, I just kind of write the next one. But if you, if you read them, they're so of a piece and so of a kind, and it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that he hasn't, he doesn't have some sort of larger architecture that he's thinking about. Um but but I think I mean I, I don't think he's lying to me. I think he's genuine and that he just he's just in it so deep that he just knows what the next thing should be. And I and I guess that's the that's sort of the way I I go. I, I know like Mark Graney works in five book arcs, right? So the he, the first five books, the second five books, and he's just started the next run. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, some people are very very deliberate about how they do it, uh, and I am just uh, kind of a, a you know winging it uh, all the way when you say arcs do you mean he has uh there's a theme to each five and then he moves to a different theme or is it 
Because grainy, I mean, because a gray man is one continuum, right? I mean, oh yeah, no, it is. Okay. But so those first five books, right? We begin with with the gray man who is being hunted by the CIA, right? And it's and it's this, you know, he spends five books trying to figure out why they tried to kill him and basically finding his way back in. Got it. And then the next five books are him working for the CIA and then basically getting out again. Right. So it's just it's just this there's this larger action that he's that he's building on. And it's a it's an easy way to think about, um, you know, kind of one of the larger pieces, which is, uh, you know, kind of what does your character want over time? And if they always want the same thing, it's not all that interesting. Right. Um, I, I realized at a certain point that I was kind of writing in trilogies. So my first three are sort of a, are sort of a set piece. The second three um, are sort of a set piece. And it's really about how Peter's place in the world is, is you know, in, the, in the drifter, Peter is, can, can barely be inside for, for more than 15 or 20 minutes. He's, he's, he's just back from war. He's got post-traumatic stress, which takes the form of claustrophobia. And it's so acute. He's basically homeless. He can't hold a job. He can't. So it's, it's, it's him. And his, what saves him is that he goes to help uh, the widow of a friend he served with. So that's the, that's the setup for the beginning of that book. Um, and, and it ends with Peter um, uh, in a good place with this woman he's met named June Cassidy, who's become a recurring character as well. And then the, 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 next, the next books, right? So that's sort of a rising arc. The, the next books are a dip down. The, the fifth book, he, the fourth book, he and June are in conflict. The fifth book, Peter is in, uh, has a, a major relapse with post. So the, the, again, he's getting better. And then he has a relapse with his post-traumatic stress. Uh, and then book six is again, sort of back to that good place with June and having a real life again. Um, so I'm not quite sure. And I didn't plan that in advance. That's just something that occurred to me after the fact, uh -huh. um, which either I'm smarter than I think, or I'm, I'm as dumb as I appear. I'm not sure which. We're going to go with smarter than you think. Yeah. That's very generous. I yeah, yeah. I, I, it does beg the question, is there, uh, and I'm just curious, there's got to be something somewhere that you go, I want to go off the reservation way over here and just create something completely different, even if it's just for myself. Yeah, I don't really do anything just for myself because <laughs> that's not, to me, that's not the point. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the point is to, um, give the readers what they want. Well, not what they want, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't write with a reader in mind per se. I try to write a book that I want to read. There you go. And, and I'm lucky in that my own taste, right. My own aesthetic is something that other people appear to share. Um, again, these books are, uh, quite popular. So that's a, that's a fine thing. Helps me yeah. pay my mortgage. Um, but, um, there's a discipline to writing for a reader uh, where you, it, 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 it's when you're just doing something for fun, it's really easy to be sloppy. It's really easy to get lazy. And there's, it's really easy to sort of lose the, the, the narrative thread or just the personal drive to, to make your way through it. And, and for me that there's a, a discipline to knowing that somebody is waiting for that book and knowing that, um, that I, I have to be rigorous about what I do because you know, a whole bunch of people are going to be looking at it. Um, so I, I, I like that. Um, yeah. And it, it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me, uh, again, always trying to get to get better. And do you uh, 
uh, do you find yourself? Well, who, who's your initial beta reader? Are you one of these folks that has, uh, you know, family friends that gives you that initial little, Hey, how does this one hit you? Or do you just go, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. There's the, the first, so I wrote three books I couldn't get published. And, and my wife, uh, has had read all of those many times. Um, and I finally, then I wrote a book, uh, that, that became the drifter and she read that four or five times. Again, I had zero expectation that it would ever be published, that anybody else would ever read it. Uh, and then and then Putnam picked it up and said, hey, we like this a lot and we write another one. Uh, and so I've just been kind of going off from there. Um, but the, you know, she, she has read less and less as these have progressed because the time is so short. Um, the, 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 I mean, writing a book a year, I have, I have a number of friends who write two books a year to me, that just seems astonishing. I it's, it's all I can do to write the one yeah. uh, at this point uh, and have anything resembling a life. Um, <laughs> so, but there's a, there's a point at the beginning when I'm, when I'm 10 or 20 or 30,000 words in where I am just loaded with self-doubt and I'm like, does this make any sense? Is there any, is there any spark to this? Is there any soul to this? And so then I give it to Margaret, my wife and, and she will read it and, and she will say, stop, you know, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. It's just fine. Just keep going. Um, and then like my, my agent doesn't even see it before my editor, because I don't have those extra two weeks to, to turn it around and to, and to have her tell me what it should or shouldn't be. So I basically, at a certain point, I just press send and it's to my agent and my editor at the same time. Yeah. That self-doubt is such a funny little sticky wicket, isn't it? Um, it, it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. You know, we're, we're alone in a room telling stories to ourselves. Um, you know, kind of pulling voices out of our head. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a goofy thing. Um, and it's something that, I mean, it's pervasive everywhere. I mean, everybody has that voice in their head telling them that, you know, it's not good enough. Sure. That's just, that's just part of the human condition, whether you're a salesperson or a finished carpenter or whatever, but I think for, for writers, because it's so intimate, um, it, we're putting so much of ourselves into the work that it's really easy to uh, fall victim to that. You know, and on a similar note, pulling it back to me for just one quick second, because you asked about radio. I mean, I remember the days when I was starting up and, and I started hitting the major markets pretty fast, which was really nearly impossible at that time. But I would do a show and I'd, I'd go home and I'm like, oh, God, that show sucked. What was I thinking there? Why did I say that? What, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'd go into my boss the next morning and I'd say, dude, sorry about yesterday's show. What are you talking about? Oh, that thing I did. Oh, no, dude, it was brilliant. Or conversely, I'd, I'd walk out one day and I'm like, hey, that was a pretty good show. And he'd go, come here a second. Come here. <laughs> I'm, I'm teetering. Don't, be don't ever say that again. Yeah. yeah. I'm teetering between firing you right now or maybe letting it slide. I'm going to let it slide, but you got this close. And uh, so it's just a funny thing. I think it's, it's any performer. You, you ask musicians, you know, uh, singers, uh, songwriters, uh, authors. I mean, they're, we've all got that thing in our head that my wife, I do the same thing to my wife, kind of like you were saying, and I'll go, honey, read this first page and just go, just tell me how bad it is. You know? And then she goes, this is really nice. This is good. Keep going. So 
who the hell knows, right? I mean, you just kind of go with And then this leads up to the next question. Your host, David Temple here. Hey, before we get back to the show, I thought I would throw in this one quick note. I have had authors approach me who want to actually advertise on the show. And I'm like, that's cool. I love that idea. I mean, think about it. We feature the best thriller writers in the world. You're one of the new up-and-coming thriller writers in the world to be. And you have a book coming out. Our rates are super reasonable. (laughs) We're easy to work with, as you know. And we all want to work together to make success for all of us. Just reach out to us here at The Thriller Zone at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Let's talk rates. Let's talk details. Let's do something together in the new year. I think you'll like it. Now, back to the show. Which I love. And it's so funny. Not again to drop names, but I'm talking to Dean Koontz the other day uh, on the show. And we're talking about the uh, pantser and the plotter. He goes, Dave, I I don't know what this pantser stuff is. I can just tell you this. I always write with my pants on. Okay, that's all. Well, he's got me beat, I tell (laughs) you. Please don't stand up. Um, And and do you have a theory about that? Because I love that question only because I'm deeply curious because he doesn't plan anything. And I'm like, Dean, you're you're a buck 20, buck 10, buck 20 words in. How do it just comes to me? I just go and I'm like, wow. What's your theory? Well, well, I'm a I'm a pantser, but I think I think neither of those descriptions are, are really true, right? None of us are all of one or all of the other. Right, right. Um, I was on a panel at Thriller Fest, actually, with a guy who said, I'm a pantser until I need to be a plotter, and then I'm a plotter until I need to be a pantser again. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's really true. I'll, I'll, I mean, I, I am definitely pulling stuff out of thin air, but then it's like, okay, now I really have to like figure out some stuff, right? I have to, I have to figure out some plot mechanics. I have to you know, stop and develop this new character and play around with it a little bit. Um, so I, I mean, I, and I know lots and lots of outliners who say, well, sure, I outline, but that doesn't mean I stick to it. I just, you know, you, you have to kind of follow where it goes. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I think it's easy to get sort of stuck on what sort of, you know, one label or another, but really it's, you have to find your own process. You have to find your own way into the story and, and if, if what that means is sitting and writing you know 40 pages of notes before he can get going you know hey more power to you if it works it works sure um and for me i'm just looking for kind of a situation yeah uh right so like in 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 uh, in the runaway peter uh peter ash our hero is driving down a gravel road in rural nebraska and he sees a young pregnant woman um by the side of the road, her car's broken down and she's trying to escape from her husband, who's a former police officer and a very bad man. Peter offers to help, but things don't go well for either of them. Like, that's really all I know right. when I start. Um, and and you can write a whole novel from that. There's a, there's a great um, E.L. Doctorow line uh, that you'll, you, you, you may have heard before, that writing a novel is like driving across the country at night. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can drive the whole distance that way. That is good. I didn't know where that came from. Awesome. And speaking of that in the runaway, uh, let's talk about this then now, because at first I'm like, oh, that was then. And this is now. 
And then as the then gets closer to the now and they catch up, then the then is now now. <laughs> very, very eloquently said, David. <laughs> oh, forgive me. If you could hit, if you could reach me, I'd let you slap me. <laughs> So without giving anything away, let's talk about that because that's what's so neat. You just set the story up and I'm like, oh, we're going this way. And then all of a sudden, nope, we're this way. And then it's back this way. And that's what made it so intriguing. Well, so so the then and now, so the what what the the piece that I just told you where Peter meets this young woman by the side of the road, that's now. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we also have to go back and hear, so so Peter's Peter's attempt to save her. Uh, is the is the current moment throughout the story. But then we also have to go back and find out who Helene is and how she got to this place where she's, you know, 11 months pregnant by the side of the road, um, how she ended up with this bad man. And so we get, th- that's those those then sections, those early sections are sort of the the, you know, the last nine months of Helene's life. And, and I, I honestly, I, I couldn't quite figure out how to get all of those pieces in. And I kept thinking, well, I need to sort of cut this, this stuff short with Helene's voice. But she kind of took over. She's a, she's a super strong woman. She's got yeah. a very interesting story. And she just, every time I thought I was done, she would just kind of say, no, shut up. It's my turn now. Yeah. And she would sort of take over. It was, it was a, a, a strange experience, I have to say. But see, I think that's one of the magical qualities of a of an author who's really tapped in and what people on the outside looking in who do not have that creative pulse don't understand and that is when you are in the zone or is in mcchell uh mikhail chicksentmihai said in the book flow that magical moment with everything around you disappears and you're lost in time they don't understand that and we it's hard to describe and um I guess it's just one of those mysteries that only uh, few people can really uh, talk about. But the thing I love about it is, <laughs> just like you said, no, 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 Nick, hold on a second. I got a few more things to say here. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, the, 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 his book, Flow, I read that book, I don't know, 25 years ago, probably. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful if you're, if you're it, it's really about kind of human happiness and, and how to, uh, how to find in a way, it's about kind of how to find an experience that works for you. Yeah. And it can be, you can be in flow if you're playing basketball or if you're building a fence or writing a book, but it really is about just paying attention. And, and uh, I don't know, is it, is it Martha Graham who said, you've got to keep a clean antenna, right? Yeah. It's about, it's about tuning out all of that other stuff. Um, you know, I, I, my, my phone is only on five hours a day. It's on from five o'clock at night until 10 o'clock at night. Um, I don't, I've got a, 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 a internet blocker on my computer, so I'm not tempted to go read the news or anything else. Like I am a super distractible person. So I have put all of these things in place that I can just do this thing. Wow. That's impressive. It's, it's, it would be, it would be more impressive if it weren't because I'm, I'm kind of a manic monkey, right. And my, <laughs> my brain won't shut up. So I just have to do all this stuff to kind of to kind of dial it down and allow myself to stay at work. It's funny you should use that phrase because that was bouncing around in my head when you were talking. I was like, it's the monkey mind that just sits here and chatter. And it's funny when I'm cutting the show, because I'll I'll record this and when we hang up, I'll start cutting it. And then because I have it on YouTube and podcast channels, 
I spend as much time making sure that the video is as intriguing as the audio. I don't even know what my video audience is barely, but between graphics and little giggle moments and sure. so forth and special effects and music. Um, and when I'm in that spot, time completely disappears. And my wife's always, she'll be knock, 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 you know, it's dinner time. Really? Right. I just started. And, um, I love that. And it is, I'm going back to your point. It is that moment when you say, and you can learn to consciously go, shh, monkey mind, sit over yeah. there on the shelf yeah. and keep the trap closed. And yeah, it's just discipline. I say just, it's discipline. I think that's what it is. It, it is, but it's, I think the, the stuff that you're talking about is a really very specific form of discipline. There's a, it's, there's a, all this Buddhist thought about this. Um, you know, there's a, you know, meditation and mindfulness is having a huge public moment with, with COVID and everything else. But I, it's, again, as a, as a writer, that stuff is super helpful to me because you learn to, you know, you learn to get quiet, yeah. um, which I think is important. I work a lot of stuff out. Uh, the beach is about a mile and a quarter from here as the crow flies. And I'll go down and I'll just go, okay, when the tide is out, I'll go work out little things that I can't quite figure out. And sure enough, every single time, if you just walk, this is walking in case you, in case you didn't right. know what walking <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you just you know the negative ions or whatever the mojo secret mojo from the water it's just it's it's magical and uh, sometimes I think it's the a combination of the white noise and just distracting yourself from the ordinary the phone stays home all right. that stuff yeah well there's there's just enough stimulus to kind of capture your mind but not so much that you're actively thinking about you know, the sun, the waves, the whatever. So I, I do that every morning I go out for a walk now and, and I just it like that just the work just sort of starts to come. And after lunch, I go for another walk or if I just get stuck, I just, you know, put on my boots and go walk along the river. And it's like, okay, you know, what do I need to know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's an, it's an amazing tool uh, yeah. for creative work. Yeah. But as we start to wrap up, and before I get to my rapid fire questions, which is always fun, there's two things I want to ask you. And that is, do you, uh, when you're not working on your next book, do you study any particular thing, whether it's a, a technique or a structure or any, do, do you read a specific thing for inspiration that you just, that maybe allows the other side of your brain to do a little bit of the exercising? Because you're such uh, a cerebral guy, it feels like to me. Well, I, I'm reading, um, I, I like books on writing and creativity and I always find that helpful. Um, so, um, I'm looking right now at Jeff Tweedy's book. This is what I read, um, starting my last book. Uh, it's called let's go so we can get back. Jeff Tweedy is the, the guy behind Wilco. Um, and, uh, it's it's a great look at the creative process and sort of the the how the, the pains of it and the victories of it. Um, there there are there are lots of great stuff. You know Stephen King's uh, memoir slash writing manual called On Writing is is everybody should be reading that. Sure. Um, and I, I go back to those things, but I also go back to books that I love that have meant a lot to me. And and every once in a while I'll take one apart. So I will I will you know if you, if I you, you read something once and you read for a story, right? For what happens. Um, and then I go back and I read it again and I essentially outline and, and, and chapter by chapter. So everything from what happens, character point of view, um, 
how many pages. And, and once you, you know, and, and a, a, a three or four page chapter is three or four or five lines. So this is not an immense document. Sure. Um, you know, it takes me a couple, three days to do in, in, in bits and pieces. But, it, but you can really see how fiction works in that way because you've read it, you've consumed the story. And then you can go back and sort of say, so now how many chapters between, you know, person A point of view, you know, gets X chapters, and then you go to person B, and now how many chapters before you get back to person A again? So you can look at some of this sort of mechanical stuff yeah. and be like, oh, you can, you can get away with that. Oh, you can totally get away with that. Yeah. Um, and, then it's, and then you can look at the, the, you know, how, how the plot gets laid in. Um, I've done this with a couple of Michael Connolly books, and he's, a, again, a freaking genius. But, um, you know, you can, you can just, when it's laid bare in that way, you can sort of say, oh, Here's that first hint, and it's a half a line, and but it, but he gets you thinking about it, and it's a it's a great way to to look at all of the components besides the language, besides the prose. Um, you know, when when somebody introduces a character, you know, you can spend a little bit of time and say, now how many lines, right? How much description is this? A writer who tells you what somebody looks like? Is this a writer who who doesn't tell you anything, right? So I I'm somebody who likes. A little bit more. I like a little bit more of a cinematic experience. Yeah. Um, but but it's interesting to to read somebody like well like Chris Howdy right and and Chris is so spare and so bare bones, but it's so effective. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to read people who are not like you, right? So that that's kind of my that's kind of the 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 lifting weights thing that I do to um you know kind of improve my skills and technique. Uh, I was not, this is not planned, but it's sitting here in front of me because I'm doing some uh, work on it. But if you want to read a book that is mind boggling, just, I'm going to throw this at you. Look closer by David Ellis. It is, it's nothing that I, like when I saw, I'm such a critic of, of covers that I'm like, oh, oh it's, I think it's a great cover. Yeah. And I, so I'm looking at it going, oh, you, you've got me because the woman in the window, uh, what is she looking at, et cetera, right. and, and the, what's the, who's the guy running in the, on the street? Point being, this guy will, uh, will uh, switch off something in your head and make you go, oh, well, let, me, let, me, let me dig into that. The reason I say that to you, not to take away from you, and of course, this gorgeous book that wants to be front and center, um, <laughs> is that... Any time a reader, a writer can get this reader to step aside and go, okay, I either hadn't seen it exactly that way, or I hadn't thought about that the exact way, then you've really got my attention. You know, if your cookie cutter stories, uh, which is fun in and of itself, but sometimes you want to stir the bowl of gray matter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, like you, I mean, I read a lot and I think that's one of the secrets to being a, a better writer is, yeah. is to read. I mean, I read, you know, fully at least a hundred books a year and I start probably and, and throw across the room of probably another 150 books a year, plus nonfiction, plus journalism, plus, um, and you, you know, you have to find the good stuff, right? If, if what you want to do is to be you know, a, a, a good spy novel. You've got to read Graham Greene. You've got to read John the Carré. You, you can't just read, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the crappy stuff. You've got to read the good stuff because that is how you learn. I, every once in a while, I, I talk to a, a, an aspiring author who tells me they don't read and I just want to just 
smack them. I'm like, how? This is how we learn. This is how we get better at our at our craft. And this is why, by the way, most authors don't get published until the age of forty or later because it takes a long time to learn. But that's how you learn is by reading. Yeah, it's like the people I say to. <clears throat> they go, "Oh man, I really I love golf. I'm going to get so good at golf. Really, how how long are you practicing your swing? No, no, no. Do I go out and hit a bucket of balls every once in a while? But it's you know about the fun." Well, you're not going to get good at that sport by right. just smacking a right. bucket of balls. All right. Uh, before we get to that rapid fire questions, this is the question I ask all my uh, esteemed and intellectually stimulating authors <laughs> as yourself. Oh, dear. <laughs> What's your best? And, and you've kind of hinted at it a number of times here. But what is that? If you had to come up with one single piece of advice, Nick, for an aspiring writer, what would that be besides reading? Oh, besides reading, well, it's it's don't give up. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is again. I, I I already said this, but I wrote three books I couldn't get published uh, before I wrote The Drifter, which was nominated for six awards and won three and was a national bestseller. Um, you know, it, it this is a this is a marathon, not a sprint. You you just don't give up. Keep going. Um, it, it, it it's it's you know, it's hard, but it's not impossible. And it might as well be you. It's got to be somebody. Right. Um, but you can't, you can't, you know, want to write a good novel and also drink four beers and watch three hours of television a day. Right. You, you have to give something up. If, I know. I'm sorry. I'm talking to you directly, David. Oh. Yeah, you, you. <laughs> right. You, 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 it requires discipline. It requires, you know, a certain, uh, you know, kind of monastic sense, at least for me. Um, but, but don't give up. It's life is full of rejection. The writer's yeah. life is more full of rejection than anything else I've ever done. Um, but don't stop. Yeah, that's good. That's excellent. And I, I would say, you know what, and this is the way I always say to people, anybody can quit. That's easy. Geez, that's easy. Anybody can do that. But then I ask, how badly do you want it? Yeah. And usually I can get to the truth from there. All right. Time now. If you hear the show, you know that sound. Uh-oh. Rapid fire questions. You have gone on a long walk, Nick, out into the woods, somewhere in upstate, wherever the hell it is you'd want to draft, uh, wander off to, <laughs> when suddenly you realize, oh, I'm lost. Now, it's a two-part question to make it challenging. Number one, what's your biggest fear in the moment? And number two, what are you so glad you thought ahead to bring with you on your hike? Oh, my biggest fear is missing a meal <laughs> uh, <laughs> or maybe missing a second cup of coffee. Right. Um, what do I bring with me? Well, I, I, I don't know. I always carry probably more than I need to, but I have been, I, I'm a backpacker. So I've been, I've been lost in the mountains a lot. Um, and I actually sort of like it because you really do. Um, I, I've done a bunch of off trail hikes. And, and so I'm generally, when I'm doing a big hike, I've got a compass and a map and, uh, all that stuff. And I, I kind of like getting lost because you have to find your way home again. Boy, that's, uh, that's intense. And that's very brave too. But you, you ignite a survival instinct in you that you know that if you don't figure this out, you're screwed, right? Well, there aren't many opportunities in modern life right? to, to, to flip that switch. Yeah. Um, and and it, I mean, I don't go getting lost on purpose uh, all the time, but um, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to live a pretty mundane life. And I, that's not a very interesting life as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right. 
This one's a lot easier. You and the family are setting out on a long road trip and you're in charge of the music. Who or what genre will you be listening to? Oh my God, probably uh, 70s funk uh, <laughs> would be where we would start. Uh, de depends on the time of day. Uh, like Parliament? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. We'd start with, uh, I can't even remember the name of the song. Slut. I once had a life, maybe, and life had me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or Sly and the Family Stone. There's just great stuff. Um, so I have a couple of, of road trip playlists that are stuff I pull off the radio. Um, uh, you, you know the Shazam app? Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. love it. Yeah, so I'll I'll Shazam stuff, and, and you know, and I'm I'm at a I'm at a friend's house or I'm at a restaurant, and I hear something I, that just gets me moving. Yeah. It's, it's anything that's blues inflected that that gets my toes tapping or my hips moving is is the stuff I like. And do you listen, when you're writing, do you listen to that same kind of thing? Or are you more of that quiet guy in a coffee shop or in your library or something? Uh, no, I've got a, um, I've got a, a jazz playlist. So when I'm working, it need again, a, a blues inflected is good. Uh, it's got to have some propulsion to it, but no words. I don't, I don't want somebody whispering my, in my ear. I got enough of that going on already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. If you weren't an internationally known author, that's just Mr. Megabucks, what would you be doing if you were not writing, do you suppose? Well, I used to be a remodeling contractor and I love, I still love taking apart old houses and putting them back together. Um, and I, I miss those days. Uh, I miss working with the guys. I miss getting dirty and, and coming home and taking a shower at the end of the day. Um, there is something that can be a little <laughs> antiseptic about uh, you know, working in my office in front of a computer all day. So, yeah. um, and that's, that's kind of what I do uh, in the interim between finishing a book and starting it is I, I've often got a house project going on. Yeah, that is awesome. I love that. All right, last one. You've just been invited to craft your own small intimate writers conference in your favorite mountain retreat, and you get to invite two speakers living or dead who will appear and teach and discuss whatever, who would they be and why? Wow. You know, I've never been good at that whole living or dead thing. Um, Let's make them living then, if that helps. Uh, well, no, it, it just is, I, you know, I can't even, I can't even remember the name of the town where my, where my sister-in-law lives outside of San Diego, for God's sake. Uh, I, you know, I would love to meet Cormac McCarthy. I would love to hear what he had to say about the craft of writing. He's a notorious recluse. Um, yeah. uh, so I think that would be, would be pretty interesting. Um, and um, who else? I'm looking at my shelf full of uh, full of books. Daniel Woodrell would probably be the other. Um, Winter's Bone, I think, is a masterpiece. And yeah. he's got a great reputation. And he actually does teach, but I've never met him and I've never really heard him speak. So that's probably who I would who I would pick. Excellent choices. Very good. Well, folks, once again, the book is The Runaway. And if you want to learn more about my friend Nick here, go to Nick Petrie and follow at dot com and follow yep. him at uh, at Twitter. It under, tell me what this is. It's underscore Nick Petrie underscore. What was what's the underscore thing about? Uh, well, there's, there's another Nick Petrie oh. uh, who's a management professor in Australia, New Zealand, something like that. And uh, he took Nick Petrie and we actually still get stuff. People will tag him when they mean to tag me and vice versa. So we actually occasionally send stuff back and forth. Um, but I just I just wanted to be relatively easy to recognize. I didn't want to be, you know, big Nick 27 or whatever. Right? That's not I don't that's not how I roll. 
We all know that's your nickname anyway, so <laughs> we won't ask what the 27 stands for. But um, yeah, and in my case, uh, D- uh, David Temple, it's one of two guys. There's a guitar player and a serial killer, and I didn't really want anything to do with any either one, so I just went with Dave. I couldn't get go wrong. So. There you go. <laughs> There you go. So it's uh, Twitter at underscore Nick Petrie underscore. All right. So um, this has been fun, Nick. I'm so glad we've been trying to do this for quite some time. So I'm glad our uh, the planets finally aligned and and made it happen. Likewise, I really appreciate it, and I love your show. It's uh, it's always entertaining uh, and informative. So I I you know I really appreciate what you do. So thanks, David. Thanks once again to my new friend, Nick Petrie. And the book is, of course, The Runaway. And you'll see real quickly just how good it is and why you want to read it. Now, on Monday's show, because we are chock full of entertainment this month. Yes, August has turned out to be a double episode week every week. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, I don't know that I can keep this up every week because it's mind-bending, but it, uh, it's been fun. Anyway, coming up on Monday... In a bonus edition, Hallie Sutton and the Lady Upstairs. Before I scoot out of here, I want to say thank you once again to our brand new sponsor, Warwick's Bookstore. You can find them at online at warwicks.com. Also, authorbytes.com. They built my website. They've built the beautiful websites of a lot of big authors that you know about, and they know their stuff. Check them out. Oh, and one more thing. Please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can simply go to youtube.com slash the thriller zone where you can watch the shows. They'll soon be on Apple podcast. And of course you can always leave a review either on your podcast channel or at our website, thethrillerzone.com. Until next time, I'm going to get to reading some more and I'll see you next time for another exciting edition of the thriller zone. I never really know how these things are going to go. And, and there are people that I do this with. It's like, well, I'm not doing that again. Um, but so you're, you're not one of those people. You're one of the other people. At least that's what you're saying to me now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.